Hello and welcome to The Property Show. I'm Andrew Montlake and with me is my co-host Louisa Fletcher. We're here to talk about all things property. So whether you're buying, selling, renting, letting or happily staying put. We'll be chatting through the latest news on the housing market and mortgages as well as sharing our advice and expertise to help you get the best from your home. In today's show, Lou will be talking about changing rights for renters with pets, what cohabiting couples need to know about their property rights, as well as sharing a little-known fact about stamp duty that catches some people out when they move in together. Plus, Monty will be talking about what the introduction of negative interest rates could mean for mortgages and what cohabiting couples need to think about when they take out a joint mortgage before they get married. We're here to help you make money, save money, and most importantly of all, protect yourself, regardless of where you are on your home ownership journey. You're set for episode three, Lou. Let's crack on, Monty. So, Lou, episode number three. Before Mm. you know it, it'll be 303. It's just uh, coming thick and fast. Yeah, yeah. We've got a bit of a Valentine's Day. Valentine's? I can't even say Valentine's. <laughs> We've got, you see, it's already the prospect of Valentine's Day is, is upon us and making me uh, tongue-tied. Oh, heady anyway. expectation. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. yeah. Um, really. But you are slightly slacking, my dear, because the roses and the chocolates haven't arrived yet. So, you know. Ah, uh, did you not get them? No. No. Uh, well, mm. you, I can't legislate for the vagaries of the British Postal Service, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear you old uh, romantic uh, i know i know i know uh look we caught up in the week we did. and we were talking about the fact that a lot of people don't really understand their rights around property when they move in together that's right monty and i thought you know what with it being valentine's day tomorrow and all you know perhaps Maybe, you know, a few surprise proposals happening or, <laughs> you know, over a romantic dinner, somebody might suggest to their partner it would be great to kind of live together. So I thought now's a good time to have the chat with our listeners. <laughs> Steady on. This is a family show. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it like that. No, that's not what I, I meant. I know you didn't. That's not I what I meant. Look. So, sorry to embarrass you and obviously our listeners. Um, So, go on then. Tell us what you actually mean by all of that. So, before I start, disclaimer alert, okay, I'm not a lawyer. So, I'd encourage anyone who is listening to this and what I'm about to say, and then if they think, oh, okay, that could apply to me, um, please, please, please go and speak to a solicitor to check out about your own personal situation especially if you have little ones, because the minute children get involved with finances, Mm. it gets a bit complicated. Yeah. Okay. So now that's out the way, what I want to tackle is this big misconception that if you move in with your partner, after you've lived together for a certain amount of time, you become common law husband or wife. Okay. So that, that isn't the case. And common law spouse status does not exist in law. Now, I was quite surprised to hear that. Yeah. 
I didn't know that. A lot of people think, you know, if you live together for a certain number of years, two years, five years, that you assume common law spouse status with your beloved, yeah. but that's yeah. that's simply not true. There have been in the past, um, you know, considerations around maybe introducing it, and there's been sort of various discussion about it, but it's never actually happened. Mm. So it's an issue that catches a lot of people out when they move in with their partner and you can you can imagine the scene you know you meet you meet someone you date for a while one of you owns a property and and, and invites the other to move in with them and and the person who's moved in contributes towards the bills you know potentially you know even the mortgage as part of that monthly contribution for a period of time maybe years and then you know mm. sadly it all goes wrong um the couple separate um, and the person who moved in believes that they have a right to a stake in the property because they've they've contributed, you know, they've given the other person an amount of money each month. But unless the couple have been through previously, you know, the formal process of um, adding the, the second party to the deeds and, you know, putting them on the mortgage if there is one, then it's more than likely that they would have no property rights at all. So it's quite possible that they could have over a period of years spent thousands of pounds contributing towards what they yeah. believed to be a property. But actually, unless you've got the right paperwork in place, you'd have very little, if, you know, possibly any grounds for any financial compensation. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think a lot of a lot of people do think that's the case, don't they? Mm. Um, mm. You know, when when we advise couples or or individual people who are getting together on taking out a joint mortgage, there's a lot to think about. It's mm. not quite as simple as everyone thinks, is it? No, um, and you know, and I speak from experience on this. Right, um, it's probably these days as complicated to get out of a joint mortgage as it is to get out. You know, to actually get a divorce so it's yeah. quite it's quite a significant thing to do um so so i guess what i'm saying here is that if your beloved pops the question this weekend and if that happens oh congratulations it's lovely <laughs> um or if you know you, you you're moving to the next step and having had a blissful day together tomorrow for valentine's day you decide that you'd like to move in together there are some things that you need to think about especially if you're moving into your other half's property. Mm. So what would you say is the most important thing then, Lou, there? Well, you know, other than fair allocation of wardrobe space, which quite clearly is one of the most important things you can be talking about when you move in together, uh, as well as, you know, mm. what side of the bed you're going to get. Um, <laughs> in, in reality, it's all about whether or not you're going to be contributing to the bills and the mortgage, and in which case... It's ensuring that you are financially protected. So, you know, it could mean that you look at taking out a joint mortgage, which that's where you come in, right, Monty? This is this is your field of expertise that is. now. We obviously do loads of joint mortgages. Okay. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting when you when you do get couples who've never done this before, and it's we always say um, it's really really important to actually have a good discussion together about your credit history first mm -hmm. and foremost that's mm -hmm. really important mm -hmm. uh we have had some rather embarrassing interviews mm -hmm. where you've got one couple uh one partner 
very angry with the other about something that they have never told them about before and it gets uh, gets a little tetchy uh, there was one particular one where I did actually have to walk out of the meeting and let really? them sort it out uh, really? that was a while ago now but uh, yeah at, at, at times we feel like a bit like marriage guidance counsellors yeah. but it's really important finance mm, discussions mm. and all those kinds mm. of things are, are the little things mm. that that do Couples yeah. do argue about totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, if you have an application with a lender, or and you're you're going a standard joint mortgage from day one, that's fine. Yeah, that's that's relatively straightforward. Um, but if you're moving into your fiance's place and you want to live together, you need to think very very carefully about actually, do you want to become joint owners of the property and in most cases we usually say look you don't need to go that far straight off Mm. especially if it's a new relationship if Mm. you're moving into someone else's house that they've put the deposit down etc then it's probably best to leave things as they are until you decide that you want to actually go and buy together Mm. Um, but if you do decide that you want to do that then you've got a couple of things to do, a couple of different choices. One is you could arrange the property so it's as joint tenants or there's something also called tenants in common. Okay. Which not a lot of people know about. So that does sound potentially a bit, you know, confusing. So what? let's explain for people what the difference is between holding the deeds as joint tenants and as tenants in common. Yeah. That's quite so, important, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and, and actually tenants is co- in common is something we're seeing a little bit more of over, mm. the, over the last few years. Mm. So joint tenants is if you go to buy a property or you move in together and you decide actually you're going in with equal ownership. Mm-hmm. So, so myself right? and my wife, for example, yeah. yeah, have equal ownership in a property. So that's 50-50, split 50-50. Mm-hmm. If one of the joint tenants were to die, mm-hmm. ownership would pass to the remaining tenant. Okay. So you can't leave your part of the property to someone else in your will. You're right. in it together. You're in it together. Yes, it. Yeah. And yeah. by in it together, I mean you're in it together. So mm. if one person decides it's not working and goes away mm. and refuses to pay their share of the mortgage, mm. you are responsible for the whole of that mortgage payment. Mm. So that's very important to note. Mm. Mm. Now, tenants in common is basically where two people can own a share in the property and it doesn't have to be equal. So okay. you could have a different split it doesn't have to be 50 50 okay so for example if one person puts in 70 percent of the deposit and the other person puts in 30 percent of the deposit you could split the property 70 30 oh, you could okay. even split yeah. it 99 percent, one percent you can split it okay. any way you want okay and the important thing there is the property will not automatically go to the other tenants if you die and right. you can pass your share of the property on in your will to someone else. Okay. Or okay. if you decide to leave, you could uh, that your ex- existing person who's staying there could buy out your share of the property. Okay. 
Um, so it's quite it's quite an interesting way of of doing things, and there there are a whole ream of reasons for doing it. Um, which again, I'm not a solicitor and I'm not a tax advisor, um, but it is something mm. that. There Maybe if you're purchasing yeah. together, mm. you should talk to your your legal advisor about. Mm. Um, but it's it's quite an interesting concept that that a lot of people are starting to make make use of. Yes, ab- absolutely. And I think it it plays to this point that you know holding a property with someone else is one of the most significant things that you can do. So you really have to go into these these kinds of uh, you know arrangements as as best advice as you possibly can because it can be very expensive if it all goes horribly wrong <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so that's basically the the differences uh, explained in in a nutshell mm. hopefully in a way that that people can understand mm. um very good but what would very you good. what would you suggest Lou knowing all that so i would say if this is what you are going to do I'd highly recommend that you draw up what's called a declaration of trust. And no, that is not a document that states your other half can go out but can't, you know, go to a strip club or anything. That's not what it's about. (laughs) Um, I thought this was a family show. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's actually a legal agreement about how you share your property. And it's basically a little bit like a prenup, um, but it outlines who's putting what money in, um, so say, for example, in, in the, you know, if somebody's moving in with their partner and they're using some savings or perhaps the equity from a previous property that they've sold to kind of put into this property that their other half has. So they're paying down that mortgage and then they're going to be contributing towards the ongoing mortgage payments, which is quite a common thing to happen. Um, mm. Then you need to understand and be very clear about who gets what in the event it doesn't all work out happily ever after and I know none of us want to think like that but it, it does pay to to be pragmatic about it so in order to to put together a declaration of trust you will need a solicitor mm-hmm. um but as part of all of that and, and I'm hoping you'll back me up when I say this you know you do need to speak to your mortgage lender or your mortgage broker about adding your other half to your mortgage because yeah, they're absolutely. effectively going to have to start it would it be a new mortgage application Monty um yes in 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 some instances different lenders work in different ways but Mm. to all intents and purposes it's pretty much a new application because you're adding a whole new person Mm. onto the mortgage Mm. so you know there's a bunch of paperwork you need to do with that Mm. um but there's also one other little thing that can catch certain property owners and couples out and this is about stamp duty yeah now you know how much i love stamp duty I know how much you love stamp duty, don't we all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my pet pet subject. So what can happen is depending on how much money the person moving into the property is putting in um, and how much equity there is that already exists in the property to start with, there may be what's called a chargeable consideration that you have to pay stamp duty on. So a lot of people think that, when you buy property, pay stamp duty, you probably will pay stamp duty unless you're a first-time buyer. And that's the only time you pay stamp duty, but that's not true. So there are instances where if you are transferring ownership of a property, you still pay, you pay stamp duty again, okay? 
Um, and the threshold is £500,000. So for that means the chargeable consideration, if it's £500,000, half a million pounds or over that, you will pay stamp duty to add someone to the deeds of that property. Nobody ever tells you that, do they? Right, no. So Not at all. That, that doesn't, that, you know, you're probably listening to this and thinking, well, that, that won't affect me. But actually, if you think about house prices in London and the southeast and how far they've moved over the last 10 years, and then you think about, well, if you were to move in with a person who, who had a property and they've, they've spent 10 years paying down the mortgage, and then all of a sudden you're coming into this arrangement, it actually catches out more people than you would think. Mm. So I would say, in addition to all the belt and braces stuff we've talked about, about, you know, the, the declaration of trust, I would also say double check the value of the property and double check with your solicitor if there is a chargeable consideration and if so, how much stamp duty you would have to pay. It doesn't sound very romantic, does it? I know. <laughs> That's not very romantic, Lee. <laughs> I know. You've da- <laughs> I think the phrase is you've dampened my ardour. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but but you know, I put it this way, right? As as we were saying a moment ago, you know, if you're gonna be spending the rest of your life with this person, talking about and and being on the same page about finances early on is really important. So. Mm. Yeah, I would say just do it now. Have that conversation early doors because money is a very or it can be a very sensitive subject and it can cause a lot of arguments if you don't fundamentally agree. Mm. And then once you've sorted all that stuff out, you can be as romantic as you like because, you know, that's one of the worst conversations out the way. And then that's it, isn't it? You know, it, it builds a really, I think it builds a really strong foundation for a relationship. But, you know, Aww. that's just me. You're a bit for softy at heart, aren't you? I am, Monty, yes. But don't tell anyone, okay? Just keep I'll that wait. to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Louisa. Just a reminder that you're listening to The Property Show and coming up an update on the cladding scandal and Louisa looks at renters with pets, Aww. and I'll be checking <laughs> checking over the latest mortgage rates. So, Monty, here's a question for you. Go in, on. in the last week, I saw that the Bank of England wrote a letter to mortgage lenders. They did, yes. I'm assuming it wasn't an early Valentine's card. So what <laughs> was all that about and why is it important to anybody listening to what we're chatting about today? Well, it's very important because actually the uh, Bank of England, and for those of you who don't know, the Bank of England is a central bank of the mm-hmm. UK. Mm-hmm. Um, it was established, actually, I, I did a bit of fact-finding. It was Ooh. established in 1694. Wow. There you go. Wow. It's the eighth oldest bank in the world. Yep, it's only the eighth oldest bank in the world. Get that? Uh, am I allowed to ask what? Anyway, what? No. so <laughs> the bank, <laughs> the, the Bank of England, um, you know, one of its main jobs is to make sure you can pay for things easily and securely in the UK. So it produces all the bank notes and oversees yeah. all the payment si- systems, uh, but it also regulates all the UK banks and other financial firms so you know that they're safe and sound. Cool. 
So in part of this, because we're in a really low interest rate environment, they actually wrote to lenders and banks in October last year yeah, I to remember ask that. them. Yeah. 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 So what they were asking them was, could you potentially be ready to deal with negative interest rates in the UK, something we have never been seen yeah. before? Nope. And they wanted to give them a bit of time to get their heads around this yeah. because it's not an easy thing to do. If you think everything is system generated and computers, yeah, etc., can you imagine? Turning <laughs> everything into negative interest rates and turning the whole concept of interest on its head, it's not something you can just do like yeah, that. Yeah, it's not a few clicks of a button, is it? No. no. So no. they've rewritten to everyone just to say about their operational readiness. So mm. they're basically saying, thank you very much for all your feedback. Um, this doesn't mean that we are definitely going to see negative interest rates, but it's good to know that you're ready. And if we need to, we hope that you'll be in a position to actually implement it. So, I mean, you know, no smoke without fire, right? So the fact that the Bank of Britain, the Bank of England have written to lenders and banks and said, you know, get yourself ready in case. Does that mean that, that the base rate could drop to, to being negative then? It, I mean, you know, if they've written a letter, surely it, it could happen, right? Yeah, I mean it, it it really could it really could do. And and we have seen it in other countries like Sweden, Switzerland, Japan. Yeah, Japan, yeah. Um yeah, so um, you know, in Switzerland, for example, negative interest rates helped to discourage investors from pouring mm. money into the country mm, during yeah, times of, of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. So they do already exist actually now. And in 2019, there was a Danish bank, mm -hmm. which uh, mm -hmm. Jeska, I think Jeska is the pron uh, correct pronunciation. It is. Not, I have Danish cousins. That does sound about right. There you right. go. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they've basically said that it would effectively pay borrowers 0.5% a year to take out a 10-year loan. So Ooh. it's interesting. Um, but that was only really possible because of the nature of the mortgage market there. Okay. So it's a lot different. Okay. And the UK mortgage market is very, very different. Now, whether or not we will see negative interest rates remains to be seen. But it is a possibility. So I don't wish to get too excited, but, you know, what does that mean for people with mortgages? Does that mean that lenders could be paying us to have a mortgage? Is that what could happen? Well, it's quite interesting because even though we might see negative interest rates, um, I wouldn't get too excited. Oh. Huh. Because what happened after the credit crisis in mm. um, mm. 2008, 2009, was that lenders actually started protecting themselves. Because after that, rates went down mm. low mm. really quickly mm. and really suddenly. Mm. And mm. so there were people on variable rate mortgages who actually found that their interest rates were negative. Wow. Now, really? that didn't mean that the banks paid them money. Okay. <laughs> All it meant hmm. <laughs> was that they didn't actually have to pay any interest. Right. Okay. Now, if you're on a capital and interest 
mortgage. Yes, of course. You still have to pay the little bits of capital. You still have to pay the money that you owe back to the bank, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it was a great way for people, because you're not paying any interest, Mm. to potentially overpay Mm. because their interest rates was virtually nothing. Mm. So Mm. instead of paying £1,000 a month and half of it is on interest and half Mm. of it is on capital, if they could afford it, they kept it at £1,000 a month and all of that went on reducing the capital. Mm. So it works quite well. Um, And what lenders did after that is they put in things called collars or floors. Okay. So So in the small print, yeah. So in the small print of a lot of mortgages these days, it will say that the interest rate cannot go below a certain level. Okay. To try and avoid that thing around negative interest rates. So now if okay. So what we're saying is so there's a the interest rate that the lender will charge you can't go below a certain rate regardless of what happens to the Bank of England base rate. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So basically, financial regulators have pretty much described interest payments as a one-way obligation on the borrower. Okay. Not on the lender. So if you're on a fixed rate, there's no change. Yeah. You're on a fixed rate, five-year fix, one and a half percent. Nothing changes. Okay. You're still on that fixed rate. Okay. If you're on a tracker rate or a variable rate, yes, your rate will go down, but it will only go down to a certain level. Okay. The exception is if you are on one of the older products. Okay. So this is pre-credit credit. There are, so it would yeah. be a really old mortgage now, right? Yeah. Okay. That's right. And there are still an awful lot of people on those mm-hmm. rates wow, because yeah. – they're, they're good rates mm, yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to get anything <laughs> no, like that anymore. No. Um, so those would go down. And the same for lenders' standard variable rates. Um, mm. They will go down, but they'll only put them down a certain level. Mm. If you look at it at the moment, you've got a Bank of England base rate at 0.1% and you've still got lenders' variable rates of around about 35 to 45 mm. to even 4.99%. Mm. So lenders have to make their money. Mm, yeah. The problem becomes on savers. Okay. And savers will will really hate, obviously, the concept of negative interest rates. So while it's it's good for borrowers, for savers, it's it's a bit of a disaster. And for lenders themselves, it's a really hard thing for them to get their heads around and, and it really affects the money that they're making. So whether they actually need to do that remains to be seen. And mm. do you know what? I actually hope they don't need mm. to. Mm. Gosh. So, okay. So one last question, because I know we've got loads to cover today. Yeah. Would, if this were to happen, so if this happened, would negative interest rates make it harder for people to get a mortgage, do you think? No, not necessarily. Okay. I, I don't. I don't see any reason why not. Um, I think lenders, lenders still need to need to lend, and, mm-hmm. and they're still in the business of of lending money. I think it it might be hard for building societies rather than mm. banks mm. because building societies get their money from savings, mm. and the whole point of negative interest rates is to encourage people to spend. Yes rather than save yeah. so if people are thinking actually i am um, i might as well just spend it and not save it mm. then fine the other thing to note is if you're thinking about taking your money out of the bank 
if you've got savings and putting it under your pillow yeah yeah or under your bed don't do that no that's not a good idea (laughs) for the very very reason that if there's god forbid a fire or you get burgled or something like that your home insurance will not cover (laughs) more than around about a thousand pounds in cash lying around wow so it'll be gone so that is literally your savings going up in smoke correct literally so although it's not going to be particularly profitable to keep it in the bank, um, by all means, go out and spend and stimulate the economy, which is what everyone wants. But um, but don't keep it under your mattress. Good advice, Monty. Good advice. Thank you. I knew you'd know the answer to that. <laughs> there you go. By the way, you're listening to The Property Show with me, Andrew Montlake, and my colleague, Louisa Fletcher. Coming up, we're talking a bit about mortgages and Louisa is looking at renters with with pets, which is something I'm really looking forward to. Oh, yeah. Looking at the papers over the last week, there's been a couple of stories that have been some pretty pretty big news, haven't they, Lou? Yes, in, in property terms, they have. And the first one is a subject that we talked about in our last episode for those of you who who perhaps listened, which is, of course, the cladding scandal. Mm. So... Yes. And, um, yeah, we explained that the cladding scandal is making it impossible for thousands of flat owners to sell their homes or even get a get a remortgage. And it's, it's shocking in the extreme. Um, but there has been an update from the government this week. So... What's the latest, Monty? Where where have we gotten to with this literally in the last few days? Right. I'm not going to go off on one of my sweary rants. Well, you you can if you want. You know, um, we'll get the beep machine out now. (laughs) Have we got a bleep machine? Well, I'm sure we can find one. I'm sure we could, actually. Um, Anyway, so this is obviously a very serious subject. Mm. And um, it's three and a half years after the tragic events of Grenfell. So bad. And it's quite extraordinary that only now we're seeing some more action by mm. the government. Mm. And they pledged another three and a half billion pounds worth of funding. And they'd already pledged about 1.6 billion. But still, that's still a drop in the ocean. That's nowhere near enough, is it? For what is actually yeah. needed. Yeah. Now, part of, if you remember, that the scandal is that the leaseholders were being expected to pay for a lot of this. So just just in, in layman's terms, that means you bought a flat and it's leaseholds. So that means there's a freeholder that you have yeah. to pay a certain amount of money to every year in respect mm-hmm. of that freehold. So you're living in a building that technically, you know, we won't go into leasehold and, and freehold differences now, but technically you own a bit of that building, but somebody owns the whole of the building. Um but they aren't responsible for paying for the removal of the cladding. You, as the flat owners, are. That's what we're saying. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically saying that. They'll pay for some of it, but actually most of the cost is split around the the, mm. uh, the leaseholders, which mm. is, is – and we went through the tragic stories and, mm. and, and the issues that mm. brings. Now, what the government have done is they've said, okay, no resident now would bear any cost for removal of the cladding on high-rise blocks above 18 metres. Okay. Which is it's decent news. Okay. For some people. And for some people. However, owners of lower-rise blocks mm. 
would be able to access long-term loans right to pay for it but they'll never have to pay more than 50 pounds a month towards the removal of the cladding this would be paid for by a new tax on property development from 2022 for some okay. reason not from now okay um, and there would also be a new levy on developers of high-rise blocks in the future. So okay. the problem with yeah. this is the government has surely turned its back on hundreds of thousands of leaseholders in dangerous buildings yeah. less than 18 metres high. high. And, and for, the, for the record, that's a lot of flats. That is a lot of flats. And for me, a dangerous building is a dangerous building. Yeah. Exactly. It's specific height. It, it, it shouldn't be deciding factor in whether leaseholders no. have no. the remediation works paid in full or not. And there's, it's not just cladding, Lou. Mm. Cladding is just one part of it. Okay. There's loads of other defects with buildings, whether it's sprinkler systems or this, mm. that, and the other, or fire mm. doors. I heard about um, what was the one I had the other, you know, uh, exploding bricks the other no. day. Something where they, they can they can catch fire. So asking anyone to pay for mistakes they didn't make is an absolute travesty. Uh, yeah. When you buy a home, you. yes, exactly. you expect it to have been built safely mm. and shouldn't have to pay a penny for it. So it feels to me that this is progress. But there's still an awful long way to go, like yeah. a very long way to go. Would, would you say that's fair? Yeah, mm. I, 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 that's that's very fair. And and already the government has had instant criticism on this. Mm. It's it's really unfair. Um, it, I, you know, it's too little, too late. That's mm. the phrase that's been bound, mm. bounded around. Mm. And and my comments were, you know, the, the housing minister stood up and said this is an exceptional intervention. Well, in my view, the only way it's exceptional is it's exceptionally unfair and exceptionally late. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. There you go. I did that without swearing. You but did very I, I really well. Hope, I really hope mm. that they get to grips with this mm. and the people who built the properties and the government need to sort this out yeah. once and for all yeah, they do. now. Yeah, they do. It's people's lives and homes at stake. And this is not acceptable. So yeah. um, I just hope that with more pressure and more media awareness, more gets done soon. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you've got an update for renters as well, haven't you? I have. But this is on a bit more of a positive note. So Good. this one is for renters with pets or people who are currently renting and don't have a pet, but would like a pet. I'm really excited about this. This is like a fluffy, yeah. nice. Yeah, it's park, nice. We it? want to bring some nice. I'm nice just, yeah, I'm thinking about a nice fluffy cat or a nice yeah. Yeah. dog looking yeah. at me with love in its eyes. Yeah, exactly. Or even a fluffy bunny. There yeah. you go. I'm going to shut up now. Any of those things. Any <laughs> of those things. So at the end of January, the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government announced new guidelines around common household pets. So cats, dogs, bunnies, budgerigars, they're all common household pets. For the avoidance of doubt, a llama or an aardvark isn't. 
before anybody gets oh, creative, okay? Just, I really want a llama. Just, just to put it out there. I hear they're a bit temperamental, Monty. I, yeah, uh, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, you're not. Um, so what's happened is they've introduced what's called a new model tenancy agreement. So this is like a template. So it's a recommendation of a contract for landlords to use. That sounds like a punk band of the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, the I late think 1970s. That actually, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. It, sorry, go no, on. No, no, I'm going to have to mute myself, aren't I, to let you speak? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, some of our younger listeners, of course, may not know what we're saying. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so it's it's a recommended contract for landlords to use, and it means that within this, the default position is that pets are allowed in a property that's rented. So landlords that use this new standard tenancy agreement can't Mm. issue a blanket ban on pets. And instead, consent for pets is included in this new model tenancy agreement and it's baked in a standard. That's good. It is. That is good because we're we're a nation of animal lovers. We are, very much so. In fact, there was some research uh, a couple of years ago now um, which suggests that over half of all households in the UK have a pet of some sort. Ah. So, you know, the, 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 and this is why it is such a problem for renters because, according to the government, when they were chatting about this a couple of weeks ago, only 7% of all advertised properties for rent are classed as pet friendly. Really? Is it mm. that low? Mm. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what that's meant is that as things currently stand, the vast majority of people who move into rented or live in rented properties have to sadly give up their pets Mm. before they move or can't have a pet as a consequence of living in in rented accommodation, which is is really sad. I mean, can you imagine having to give away your dog or your cat because you were moving home and your new landlord didn't let you have an animal? So does this does this fix all of that then? Not quite. So the new model tenancy agreement is a template which is recommended that landlords use, but it's not mm-hmm. law yet that they have to use it, if that makes sense. So they could still use the older form of standard tenancy agreement, which doesn't yeah. include this, and that would be legal for them to do that. So until the law changes, it's not a given. That's okay. the thing. So what, what you would have to do is if you're living in a, a rental property now, you would still need to seek written permission from the landlord before you get a pet. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, and you know, you'll be in breach of a tenancy agreement, basically. So until such times as either you move, at which point you then have to ask can I just check, you know, have I got consent by default to keep a pet? Um, you'd, you'd need to ask. But at the moment, you would need express permission to do so. So don't just go off and buy a puppy, okay. <laughs> basically. So if if the law changes, what does this mean for any landlords who might be listening to this? So I can understand that there are landlords who may not want animals in their rental properties because Mm. let's face it you know not all pets are well behaved and even the well-behaved ones can cause damage so 
in the new tenancy agreement template, um, you are still able as a landlord to refuse permission to keep a pet. So landlords do still have the final say. But the way it works is that the landlord has to object within 28 days and provide a good reason why the pet isn't allowed. And there will be a range of these good reasons that, that you can that you can express is the reason that you're not allowing it. So the other thing is, under this new system, tenants would also still have the legal duty to repair any damage caused or cover the mm-hmm. cost of any damage caused by their pet while they're living in that rental property. So that bit doesn't change. Okay. So, But I guess that the other thing, if you're a landlord – is you it does need to depend on the sort of property that you have as a buy to let property as to whether or not you could even give permission so mm. by this i mean if you own a leasehold flat and you're a landlord it's quite possible that in your lease the freeholder stipulates that you can't have animals kept in in any of the of the properties so that would mean that even if as a landlord you're cool with your tenants having animals in the property and if you gave them permission, you as the landlord, as the property owner, would be in breach of the leasehold, which could mean that you end up on the wrong side of, of the law and therefore the freeholder could take legal action. Yeah. So it's not it's not straightforward. It's not cut and dried. So if you are a landlord with, with a flat, then you really need to understand whether or not animals are even allowed in the building. And okay. as a tenant... Be aware of that because you can't just assume, you know, even now under the current circumstances, you move into a flat and you and you decide you'd like a pet. Don't assume without checking with the landlord that you can have a pet in the building, number one thing. Yeah. But number two thing, regardless of the sort of property that you live in, if your current tenancy agreement expressly says that you can't have animals in that property um, without permission of your landlord and you don't get that permission and just do it anyway, you're in breach of your tenancy agreement and that's yeah. an eviction notice right there. Mm. So be very, very careful around this. Ask permission, get it in writing. Um, you know, if you get permission in writing, crack on. But if you don't, don't do it anyway because you could end up making yourself homeless. And it's really interesting that that's really timely, Lou, because – Obviously, the amount of pets now that people mm-hmm. are getting in lockdown exactly yes yeah. is, is massive, isn't it? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. So, you know, this is this is a thorny issue. It, it's good that that you know the government are are doing something about it. They're making steps in the right direction. But as I said earlier, this is a recommendation. It's not yet mm. law, but. This is all moving along. So I'm sure, you know, within the next few months or so, Monty, we probably will get an update on this. So as and when we know more, we will let everybody know. I shall look forward to the pet update. (laughs) Well, I'm desperate for a dog, by the way. So we want to get a cat. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. I want a little. I can't can't be doing with dogs. I love dogs, but it's too much hard work. Where a cat just sort of, you know, takes care of themselves. You say that, right, but there is that old phrase, isn't there, that dogs have owners and cats have staff? Yeah, I know. I'm quite happy with that. You're quite happy with it. Okay. Well, we can swap <laughs> pet when they arrive, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we digress. No one wants to know about our pets. Oh, I don't know. 
Shame. <laughs> so, Monty, it's that time again. In keeping with our Valentine's Day theme, what mortgages have stolen your heart this week? Come on. Oh, yeah. That's almost as if you practised that line. I, I might, have, might have thought about it beforehand. <laughs> um, so come on then, what are your top mortgage picks this week? What have you got for us? Right, very interesting. Um, actually, uh, rates are much of a muchness, actually. We've, okay. seen, we've seen some come down and actually the, the darlings of the... Uh, of the mortgage rates at the moment at uh, TSB, actually, who've, wow, who've come okay. out fighting. Mm. Uh, so you can get a five-year fix now if you've got 40% deposit at, wait for it, 1.24% with TSP wow. and a 900, £995 fee. Um, you can get a two-year fix with platform at 1.14. So there's not much difference between a two-year and a five-year fix. It's, okay. it's crazy. Okay. If you've got 15% deposit, then again, TSB, two-year fix at 2.59. That's incredibly uh, competitive. Yeah. yeah. Or Yorkshire building sites, yeah. you've got a 2.8% at five-year fix. Oh. Or if you've only got 10% deposit, the good news is there that there are now loads of lenders yeah. back in the 90% loan-to-value market. Uh, rates are still higher, but if you're looking at a two-year fix, Nationwide and NatWest both have a 3.24% two-year fix at 90%. Okay. That's, that's Metro Bank where they've been. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Metro Bank have come in with a 3.39% five-year fix. Oh, wow. So okay. things are moving. Okay, that's good news. That's good news. And hopefully that is very good news. unlocks lending for more people with the smaller deposits. So that means that, you know, as we as we hopefully inch towards the end of lockdown, more people can get moving. That would be awesome, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would indeed. But Lou, guess what? I don't what 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 have I done now? Well, you just, <laughs> you, we're out of time. <gasps> Oh gosh, it always We're goes out of so time. quickly. It always goes. Yeah, so it does go quickly. Thank you so much for being my partner oh, in this. Thank you. And there you go. That's my Valentine's Day. It's a beautiful partnership. Oh. Um, thank you all so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating or leave us a review in your podcast app. And don't forget, we're here to help you with your property problems and your mortgage dilemmas. So if you would like our advice, uh, why not drop us an email to hello at theproperty-show.com and we will do our best to give you a hand and tell you what we would do. Um, and the best ones we will share on the podcast. And if you want the very latest on the property market from the two of us, please give us a follow on social media. You'll find us on Twitter at The Property Show Pod. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.